Got to, man. Got to bounce back. Shout out to my homie Keys, Xavier Keys, on the vocals on this. Okay. Honestly, they couldn't stop me if they wanted to. Got to get up, go out and get it, and that's what I'm going to do. I've been focused. I'm not hungry. Yo, I'm starving, dude. Grind mode with my team. We making these power moves. Honestly, they couldn't stop me if they wanted to. Got to get up, go out and get it, and that's what I'm going to do. I've been focused. I'm not hungry. You're going to starve them, dude. In grind mode with my team. We making these power moves. Because I ain't got no time to be wasting. With all this music I'm making, man, I'm tired of being patient. So I keep making these moves here with my crew. Vow to myself to always stay true. So I don't care what nobody else do. I know why. Like an erection, bumps in the road, but nah, I ain't stressing. I don't work out, but homie, I'm flexing. Every time I get on the beat and I bless it, rise and shine. And I never let another come and stop my grind, because I grind all night at the gig. No lie, then it's back in the booth for some overtime. Come on. Nope. Mm-mm. Shout out to Miss Almaramos. Shout out to Miss B. Uh-huh. I said, uh, hey, hey. Hey, my mom's told me to get them, so I don't care what y'all say. I just keep grinding. Yeah, I stay working, cause it's, you know I'm, I said, uh, that's right. In the lab with a pen and a pad, I, I, let's ride. Make it look so easy, don't it make y'all mad? One thing I know, one thing is certain. I can't stop, won't stop, cause me and my team stay working. One thing I know, one thing is certain. Can't stop, won't stop. On the grind, get in mind, I'm working. No sleep, spit heat, killing these tracks, and I'm not gonna stop till I'm up on top where I'm supposed to be. Everywhere I go, I scream as Pete. We more than a crew, we a family. Working, trying to get a couple Grammys, G, have them sitting on top of the mantelpiece. Thank God. Go hard, they just mad cause I'm on my job But where I'm from is the ground to starve I starve and I just can't do it Not having it, unthinkable So I turn in the stretch, I'm strong And now I can reach the unreachable Let's go Hey, Trying to Yo, they I said I can't sit still I just laugh at y'all haters Cause I Yeah, hey, 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 hey. Mom's told me so why don't let's go? I just keep yeah I stay cause it's you know I'm I said I that's right uh in the lab with a pen and a pad I I let's ride make it look so easy doesn't it make you mad one thing I know one thing is certain I can't stop won't stop. Cause me and my team stay working One thing I know One thing is certain Can't stop, won't stop On the ground, get in mind, I'm working Don't ever let anybody tell you That you can't get what you want Whatever you dreaming for, you get out there and you get it You make it happen Never mind the haters Real still Cause I All day Always Get them Yes sir I'm grinding, stay working, hey, I said I, that's right, in the lab with a pen and a pad, I, let's ride, make it look so easy, don't it make you mad, one thing I know, one thing is certain, can't stop, won't stop, cause me and my team stay working, one thing I know, one thing is certain, can't stop, won't stop, on the ground, get in mind, I'm working. Got him. Yes, sir. Love him. Rise and shine. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to Good Morning Aurora. News, weather, and really cool interviews. Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m.
Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. The time is 8.02 a.m. You are listening to and watching Good Morning, Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. It's Wednesday, the 26th of October. Yes, the 26th of October. Uh, as you guys know, coming in this morning or driving in or getting to your car, it is a um, slightly chilly, a little bit of a dark, cloudy day. It's kind of got a Gotham City kind of feel, you know? I walked around the corner to go to Treadwell for my coffee this morning. We got coffee here still. We got the industrial bun maker, uh, but we don't have any sugar. So I was like, you know what? I don't feel like doing it black today. I'm going to get a little bit of cream. So I went around the corner to Treadwell. And as I was walking up Downer, I thought, wow, it really feels like Gotham City around here. You know what I'm saying? You know in Batman, right? How it's yeah, like course. it's always dark. You ever notice that? It's never a sunny day in Batman, you know? Um so that's kind of how it looks right now. Time is 8.03. We are going to learn today. That's what we're going to do. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, wait a minute. Monica yesterday on Buenos Aires Aurora told us that we were going to tune in and learn about the city council and all that with the, with the casino. We're not doing that today. Y'all got to wait for that. But there is a blog post coming soon. Thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate that. There's a blog post coming soon about it, too. We have a great guest. We have a returning friend of the show. Uh, we're going to learn from him today about the Black Alliance for Peace and many other great things. And that person is our friend, Nick Thompson. How are you? I'm doing well. Good to How see you. you. Doing? All right, doing pretty good. How's life? Before we get into the, before we get into, before we get into all of the morass of international foreign policy yeah. of a particular bent, how are you doing? I, I'm doing well, man. Life is love, right? You know. Life there's, is love. There's always struggles, but when you see everything in a, a, a grander context of, mm -hmm. like, I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at. I'm very fortunate to be in community with the people I'm in community with. I have amazing family and friends, and, you know, this work is important to me, so I'm excited to be talking about it okay. with you, because yeah. I know it's important to you, too. Absolutely. So. Now, you've been, uh, how long have you been a, well, actually, what is your position within your organization? What's your title with BAP? So, I am the Midwest Regional Coordinator okay. and Organizer. All right. And under that title, what do you do? So essentially what I do is I, I coordinate and organize the, the Midwest states. And then within each state, uh, we have uh, what are called like city alliances. So we have generally two to three organizations that are working in the interest of uh, African uh, and black folks uh, domestically and globally. Mm -hmm. And we work with those organizations to enact our campaigns and our political education and other uh, political strategies. Um, and how long have you been a member of BAP? Someone asked me that this weekend, actually, and it, it's it's funny. So I, I've been a member of BAP since almost its inception, but I wasn't very active. So when I first joined, I was just on the mailing list, and I would uh, agree with the the positions they would take, mm -hmm. but I wasn't really active. And then at one point in like 2018, 2019, our national organizer, actually, who's now my mentor, reached out, and we were discussing video work. So I began doing video work around 2018, 2019, and then... After like six to eight months, I became kind of uh, more immersed and involved in the actual organizing. Mm -hmm. So realistically, I've been a part of it since like almost, I would say five years, but okay. really organizing, I would say three. Okay. So now your strength is in community and community building. So is that, I mean, you, you, you got in, then you really found what you can do. Like, oh, my strength, you know, this appeals to me so I can really kick butt and get the word out and organize folks. And you just had an event too, right? Mm -hmm. I saw great pictures of you and a lot of young people. That was a, was that a conference? Yeah, so uh, Black Alliance for Peace has bi biannual membership meetings. And we had our membership meeting uh, just this past weekend and we were in Atlanta and we were uh, congregating and coming together to talk about the, the future of the organization, talk about what we've accomplished thus far and then voting on a new governance structure. Okay. All right. Um, so I guess a good place for us to start is um, what is it in, poli in foreign policy specifically that, um, you know, that Black Alliance for Peace advocates for and against? Or, you know, what, 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 are, the, uh, what are we trying to achieve? Sure. So with that first, I'll answer, uh, I'll answer it like this. The Black Alliance for Peace, what we stand for is we are attempting to recapture and redevelop the anti-war and anti-imperialist and pro-peace positions of the black radical tradition. Okay. So folks like Martin Luther King, which is one of the reasons why we, you know, are 
we came into existence on April 4th, right? And uh, same same as NATO coming into existence too. And we, we oppose like the, the U.S.-NATO kind of Western nation foreign policy on many accounts. And our political position generally is seeking seeking peace for sure and we use a people-centered human rights framework that is distinctly different than the the UN charter kind of the legalistic liberal framework that is oftentimes used to determine human rights and the difference between that is for people because I don't want to get too academic I want people to really understand is that we recognize human rights should come from the bottom up not the top down states should not be determining human rights we've seen why that is a problem People in struggle should determine what that is, right? We should be asking the least of these. We should be asking the most marginalized what human rights looks like. Right. If you were to ask a landlord what human rights look like, it'd probably be different than a person who's unhoused. That's how right. I frame it. We should be asking those who are most in need and and struggle with them to determine what human rights are uh, and popular struggle, not uh, allowing structures and uh, entities in power determining human rights. So that that's the way I'll frame it. And from there, that's what really informs our foreign policy decisions. But we also recognize historically the United States uh, isn't concerned with human rights genuinely. And I can get more into why I think that and why we believe that and why we push that. And knowing that as a premise, the United States is not concerned with human rights, all of their military activity, much of which is not known to the, U- the, the public, right. is illegitimate. Uh, it ends up in sexual assault, it ends up in violence, it ends up civilian deaths, it ends up in mass occupations, billions and trillions of dollars wasted, and oftentimes is not on any, uh, it's in the, 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 they say national security, uh, the, the, the language they use, which I think the euphemism, it's more about, I think, U.S. hegemony mm-hmm. and domination, not national security. But they you, use those interchangeably. And you mentioned the U.N. Yeah. Uh, and... It, it is worth noting, too, that like when it comes to human rights and everything, I mean, when it was set up, the state of uh, the African diaspora was not as it is now, nor was it even thought about in a collective security kind of fashion. So there never really was a, a thought process of these are the nations we should also be helping and looking out for. You know, there was more of an emphasis on like Brussels as opposed to, you know, Burkina Faso. So, and I I guess what is, is that shift changing globally? Are there more, uh, not to take away from the work you guys doing, but is is the the, uh, perception of Africa and its people and the diaspora, has it changed over generations and over time? Um, Would you say, are you mean, do you mean it, did it change at like a a global scale or does it change in like public perception? Like, well, actually both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I can answer that. I think, uh, as every, I think everything always changes, uh, uh, things fluctuate, but I don't know if it has changed in a, uh, a positive or I don't know if it's changed in the interest of African people. I think it's changed on the uh, political and economic interests of the United States. I think around 2007, uh, during the, the coming in of the Obama administration, so around 2008, there were different policies enacted to look at Africa different, right? He right. started uh, what we one of our main campaigns to shut down AFRICOM in October is our international month of action, actually, against AFRICOM. And AFRICOM, really quickly, is a military-to-military uh, project uh, on the continent in 53 out of 54 countries right. uh, there. And... It's there under the pretext of like stability right. and curbing terrorism, but by every account, by every metric, by like data and study out by independent human rights organizations, terrorism has increased with the presence of AFRICOM. Right. So even if we believe they were there for terrorism, I don't believe they are, they haven't actually achieved their goal, so they've been failing for at this point, a decade. Right. So you should probably either change the strategy or get out of there. Even if we believe that we were being charitable, that that was why they were there, and I'm going to get into why we know that's why they're not there. Right. But, right, so we'll take a step back. And, you know, I think the United States sees places like China, who began trading aggressively and uh, offering loans and other partnerships in the continent. Like the Belt and Road Initiative. Precisely. That is why the United States became very interested in Africa, not from a genuine perspective of African lives, not from a genuine perspective of human rights, not from a genuine perspective of decolonization, because a lot of these countries were still under colonial control from outside sources, from uh, the French, the British colony. Uh, They had, like, British, uh, the 
the British had colonies, as right. well as the United States, right? So it's not coming from a place of concern for these people's lives or the, 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 the political situation. It's more coming from, again, the United States economic, political, and geostrategic geo interests globally to, to combat China's emerging economy. And as if anybody's familiar with like that in context, China over the last 40 years has aggressively grown GDP, not just like in, in, in its economy, but its international influence, right. right? It's becoming an emerging superpower. And that is seen as, and United United States actually just put out a, a large report. They see China as an existential threat, which we yeah, might get into. Yeah, the Pentagon report, right? Precisely, yep. right? And we might get into that. But like, the thing is that it's an existential threat because it threatens the United States position, not because China's doing anything more or less nefarious in the United States, but yeah, it's because Navy, they only have one ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, right. Yeah. Like, and the United States has <laughs> the largest military uh, in terms of funding, right. as well as in, in, in scope and range. They have a full spectrum dominance kind of strategy approach, and they're everywhere. So, if anybody should be concerned about anybody being an existential threat, I would argue it's the United States. Right. Undoubtedly, unequivocally, not even close. Um, one of the things that struck me too, to this point, is help would look for for a country that has persistent famine help should be foodstuffs and agricultural help i've always found it very demeaning right to to read these reports instead of giving kenya food we're going to give them tanks <laughs> yeah i mean you know these countries don't need armored vehicles they need the help that they need is improving the quality of life of the people who could then do for themselves and thus decrease, you know, violence and, and, and what have you. So it's always been a, a burden to me. Now, you mentioned the Obama administration. Um, one of the things, too, was um, which was, you know, very innocuous. There was the I know you know about this. We're going to bring the troops home. Yeah, we're going to bring the troops home. We're going to take these guys out of Iraq. They're coming home. Well, what happened was was the increase in the uses of drones. Precisely. Um, so the the boots on the ground is the term they use. Yeah. The boots on the ground presence was gone and people here loved it. And that's how bad things happen, right? Because we only see, oh, well, we're bringing the troops home. Yeah. Not knowing that with the increased presence of drones, civilian casualties. 90%. You know, I mean, that is, um, it's terrible. But, but talk a little bit more about that because you would, you have a, better wealth of knowledge about that than I Sure, yeah. So before we go on, I'll say this too, just for listeners, like uh, imperialism is, uh, as basic definition, is when uh, one nation state dominates another, and this could be politically, economically, socially. And we recognize also some of the debt traps uh, by in, uh, international financial institutions like the IMF and the World Bank that are supported by the United States. And the United States has a lot of voting power on those like boards and committees mm -hmm. that oftentimes we also are against particular debts that are given to these African nations because it's never still in the interest of the African nation because then they give them high interest rates. They give them uh, these this money with high stipulations and you have to follow particular policy like opening up your perhaps right like oil reserves right. for free trade to other countries so we also recognize sometimes even money or food being given if it comes with those type of those type of stipulations that is disingenuous and really just a, a different form of what we call neocolonialism mm -hmm. uh which is outside forces governing inside force uh, of, a, of a country so we we always want to be careful and nuanced there because uh sometimes it may look like a good deal oh well we sent them money or we sent them food what Thomas Sankara said, though, you know, he who feeds you controls you. And he was a great Pan-African and anti-imperialist of Burkina Faso, which you mentioned earlier, and accomplished. I think he's one of the, actually one of the greatest, I think, leaders of all time in history in terms of what he was able to achieve in four years before his assassination, mm -hmm. which is backed by the French government. And so I, I, I believe it's important to detail that to me to make sure no confusion because just giving food to these countries oftentimes won't solve the problem either it is a, a, a issue of economic independence and political independence uh, as well as you know giving people the infrastructure that is needed to be self-sustainable and self-determined that being said i'll move to your question which i think if i can, can remember yeah uh, the obama administration uh changed its uh kind of its its military approach and it went from boots on the ground to more uh, drone strikes and uh, a lot of uh, different uh, 
mechanisms that destroy arable land. And that's what right. I always want to focus on. Right. So in particular in Somalia, it was found out that a lot of the, the, the types of missiles that are utilized end up destroying agriculture. Mm-hmm. So now this country that's deeply dependent upon that, even if you don't hit civilians, which they did, they did kill civilians, and this wasn't revealed by the Pentagon, and people in Congress didn't know this until later. It was outside investigations by human rights organizations and journalists that had to come up forward, and they've been trying to FOIA AFRICOM in particular for years. Mm-hmm. And AFRICOM is not transparent. It doesn't have a record of uh, casualties of uh, of, of civilians, and it barely had records of casualties of their own personnel. Right, right. right? So it's... It's something that should deeply concern anybody from the onset because there's no transparency. What's so sick about it, and that's my word, not yours, what's so sick about it is the same time, and this is where people just fall asleep. They don't know. At the same time when we have commercials in this country of protecting our loved ones, our fallen soldiers and troops, they're getting killed in between Ethiopia and Somalia and it's not being reported. It's not. So wife of said soldier receives the flag over the coffin, but the casualty is not reported because right. what the work the work that's being done is if human beings knew about it, they would be against it. They would be opposed to it. Um at the same time though, Nick, hold on now. Wait a minute. Just DJ, can you scratch that? Hold on. Now wait a minute, Nick. Are you telling, listen, man, if we don't help these people, who else will? Come on, Nick. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to pull them up by the bootstraps. I mean, right? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm glad you asked that because that is a concern of people. And this is how I would answer it. I answered it in two ways. The first one, if one, if you think the United States is the arbiter of the entire globe, I think you'd have to prove that it, one, has a legitimate democracy, which I'm very dubious of, and two, that it's concerned with human rights, which if it were, the last, I think, even if you think now black people in the United States are on equal playing field, mm-hmm. the, the inception of the United States was in violence. It came from enslavement of people. It, then after that, we had years of uh, black codes, Jim Crow, drug wars, crime bills, mass incarceration, Operation Relentless Pursuit, right? Like the 53 of the 54 African countries actually in 2019 put a resolution at the UN to investigate human rights violations of black people in America. The United States in a nefarious and underhanded way made sure that was rejected not to even be considered. Mm -hmm. So if you're not violating human rights of black people, why not just let the, let the, the vote happen to investigate it? Because they are. That is, and I tell people, so let's, let's, let's go with that premise. Because they are violating human rights here, they certainly shouldn't be the moral, like, voice of anywhere else. Of course. So that's why I would tell people first. And secondly, I would say, I think then, you know, even if you believe that the United States like, well, who's going to help those people? I believe we uh, shouldn't be so paternalistic. I think these people have been struggling against, uh, from everywhere, and every country is unique in its situation, but everywhere from tariffs, from sanctions, from outside forces controlling and dictating their their sovereignty like in haiti right now they just had to put up a resolution to invade haiti and that's not been discussed right Right. haiti the first black nation uh, to ever be liberated Uh, they liberated themselves these are people who are competent and have the 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 skill sets to lead and govern themselves and ultimately and and ultimately uh dictate determine their own destiny What's in the way is U.S. imperialism and uh, Western imperialism in general. That I think that is the problem. So if we want to help these people, he, people here should oppose U.S. foreign policy. They should oppose um, uh, operations like AFRICOM. They should oppose the U.N. and uh, their kind of like unilateral decisions because it doesn't really oftentimes involve Latin America. It doesn't oftentimes involve African countries unless those countries are in line in alignment with the, the U.S. NATO kind of oh, political positions. Absolutely. If you're out of alignment, then you are not regarded as really a sovereign nation. Yeah, we need your vote on this Cuba thing. If you want that grain, yeah. I'm going to need you to... It's uh, 
Yeah, quite demeaning. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I know there's deep, and this is where it comes from. A lot of people are just misinformed. People are empathetic. You know, when I go places sometimes and I talk to other people internationally, some people think that United States are, are uh, deeply selfish and privileged. We are privileged, but deeply just selfish. Mm-hmm. And they're not. They're just deeply misinformed. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that, I, I agree with that. That is what I it agree. is. If people knew that there are civilian casualties in Somalia and all over the continent, people knew that there were sexual assault claims uh, by. Um, outside human rights organizations of U.S. military and their partners in these places. If people knew the amount of money being spent on devastation, destruction, they would not support it, but they don't. And if people knew that people knew that staff working for Medicine San Frontiers are being killed in drone strikes, and that report has to be foiled, if people knew that, I don't see how anybody could find a lick of good out of that. I mean, yeah. imagine. Imagine drone striking the people who are there feeding the people. Yeah. I mean, it's just sick. Um, in Afghanistan, they call it blood money. Yeah. Because, you know, we'll take, we'll, we're, we're sorry we killed 11 members of your tribe. Here's a bag with $5 million, which is not in your local currency. For the interested viewer or listener, there's a great... Um, 60 Minutes documentary. It's called Blood Money. It's about Afghanistan. Um, I bring up Afghanistan. We're talking about Africa. I bring it up, though, because the the mechanisms of payoffs and drone strikes are the exact same. Yeah. Um, I am going to detail that voting information real oh, quick. Oh, yeah, you got And to. then um, the time is 823 a.m. Monica, if you'd be so kind, take me to a personal commercial. Before I get to voting, I want to wish Mike Eckberg, commander of the Roosevelt Aurora American Legion Post 84, a happy birthday. I saw Mr. Eckberg. We saw each other at the Marie Wilkinson's Food Pantry Spirit Awards, of which I was the MC for. That was a really cool time. Shout out to Mike Eckberg. He is a Navy veteran as well. Now, you see, scratch that up, DJ, real quick. See how ambidextrous we are? <laughs> right? We're from AFRICOM to the Navy, just like that. So, you know, if you're a patriot, you can still tune in, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, I like this show. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> I like what you're doing. I know. I know. Um, Karina Suarez Darden, good morning to you. Josie Mendoza Geller, good morning to you. And Josie Mendoza Geller, I saw that you, did you graduate from the new Aurora Police Academy class in Spanish? Did you do that, Josie? I saw the picture with your shirt on. You looked awesome. You're a dear friend. And Karina Suarez Darden says, hey, Nick Thompson, so glad to see you there. Hey, we are friend. too. Anton Kerner, a.k.a. Diesel. Hey, that's Nick Thompson. I know him. Lots of shout outs. Anita Lewis is here. Josue Pais and Bezo Arts. The time is 824. Okay. Expanded early voting has begun in Kane County. Election day is November 8th with a wide variety of races on the ballot. Early voting at 25 sites around Kane County continues through the 7th of November. uh, Residents who are registered to vote in Kane County can vote early at any of the county's early voting sites. Permanent early voting sites, which are open seven days a week with varying hours, include the Kane County Circuit Clerk's Office, Uh, 719 South Batavia Avenue, Building B in Geneva, 5 East Downer Place in Aurora, right around the corner from us. As a matter of fact, I was here late night working. Well, it wasn't that late, but it was after hours. I was here and like somebody rang the doorbell. I was like, what the heck? I go out and it's a guy with his son. And he was like, hey, do we vote here? And I was like, no, but let me show you where you do. We love that. Yep. So I walked walked around the corner and you know what was cool? The, The kid thought that he was voting for Richard Irvin. He was like, I want to vote for Richard Irvin. And his dad was like, that's not that election, but, you know, uh, so it was cute, right? And they went and got their vote on. Shout out to them. Um, Fire Station 93, 5000 Sleepy Hollow Road in Carpentersville, Elgin Township, 729 South McLean Boulevard, uh, Gale Borden Library, 270 North Avenue or North Grove Avenue in Elgin, and the Kane County Branch Court Conference Center, 530 South Randall Road. Oh, last but not least. The Vaughn Athletic Center. Uh, uh, other early voting sites have varying dates and hours of operation. There's a complete list of which I will put in the description after this episode. The Vote Mobile will also be at the uh, Prisco Community Center um, on the 27th and 28th of this month. Phillips Park Stover Center, 1000 Ray Moses Drive. 
um, on the 1st and October 31st and the North Aurora Police Department, 200 South Lincoln Way. Sample ballots personalized to the voters' home address are available at a super long, uh, you know, website address, which I'll put in the description later. Voters can enter their last name and address to find all the candidates that will be on their ballots. Okay, uh, the next quick story. Aurora is looking to fund increased internet service for learning centers in the city. The city has 11 learning centers for low-income people in the city. Um, the vote passed with, uh, to provide $100,000 to No Child Left Offline. What is that? I'll tell you. It's an initiative that identified community organizations that provide remote education spaces for low-income residents and children but they were also in need of technology upgrades. City and on-light officials worked with each organization to identify existing connectivity issues and prioritize the best solution. The centers are Hesed House, Joe Jackson, what's up? Simply Destiny, Martin Luna. We got friends, what? Look at this. I would throw this paper, but it's not the end of the show. <laughs> APS Training Institute, Harish, I saw him last night. How you doing? Warren F. Cannon Community Outreach Center, Main Baptist Church, Simard Hall at Sacred Heart Catholic Church, right around the corner from me, Grand Boulevard Community Center, Randall West Community Center, Aurora Public Library, Indian Trail Apartments, and La Quinta Kids Internet Cafe. Officials sp spent three months installing upgrades. Older networks, modems, and hotspots were replaced with high-capacity networks and increased access points. Um... The plan is to spend $100,000 for each of the next five years to pay for the connectivity because Alderman placed the expenditure on the cassette agenda. It passed. Uh, with the improvements, locations were made much more capable of providing remote learning spaces for kids. I love that. The time is 822. How about that? Okay. Um, so before we get back to some more of the nitty gritty, um, are there any current or upcoming events with Black Alliance for Peace that people should be on the lookout for? For sure. I would say definitely go to our, our website and sign up for the newsletter because there's so many things going on at the national level that there's always some type of webinar or action uh, that you can tap into because a lot of them are virtual. So, and if you're interested in that, uh, as for the Midwest, we just did some teach-ins and we're planning some for early November okay. uh, on AFRICOM as it relates to some of our uh, campaigns that are going on in Chicago. So okay. if you're interested in that, definitely I'll give people that information. We'll be talking about uh, democratizing public safety. And Chicago has a very important vote that's unprecedented on uh, establishing a public safety commission that is directly democratically and civilian led that controls the hiring, firing and the budgets of their uh, police departments and other uh, public safety apparatuses so it'll be like essentially a a board that works to ensure public safety is is led by uh, the the people in those communities okay so it's unprecedented in the united states and i think they have a really important vote coming up and we'll be linking that to some of the work we're talking about okay because one of the main things of bap is linking the international to the domestic so right um and also you know, letting it be known how intertwined those are. Absolutely. People don't think it's intertwined. They don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's the website? Uh, just blacklinesforpeace.com. Okay. Yep. Monica, if you'd be so kind. Thank you very much. Um, okay. So, domestically, domestically, what are, the, what are the big issues that face the community? Yeah. What are the big issues that Black Alliance of Peace is focused on domestically? Because AFRICOM is a whole thing that is probably the bane of foreign policy yeah um for the organization for the people domestically where's the big issues at what are we trying to uh, to dismantle so we you know the the combined campaign is called to defeat the war against african and black people okay. in the u.s and abroad and we recognize that what has been going on to, to black and brown people in the united states as almost like a bureaucratic genocide from uh policy legislation and other just like social laws that ha have been enacted in practice over the time. And some are some are, end up being legalistic and some are just cultural. And we can look at just the outcomes of health of black people. Last, terrible. We can look at, you know, those who are unhoused. Last, terrible. We can look at those who are most likely to be uninsured. Last, terrible. We can look at mass incarceration. These aren't coincidences and we can't see these as just happenstance. 
It is deliberate policy and failed policy over decades and decades. And it hasn't really been a, a, a I would say, a modicum of reprieve uh, since the Jim Crow era, right? So every decade, I, you know, I always argue in the Black Lives Peace, you know, our analysis, we recognize that there hasn't really been any efforts to uh, rectify or transform the situations from the original intent from chattel slavery. There hasn't been. There's only been uh, minor tweaks to it so that it can uh, eventually, so we, we keep making what is seemed to be progress, but the, the same power structures remain in place. Hmm. The same colonial situation remains in place. Uh, from the land theft, uh, how the country began, to the enslavement, we recognize people are still enslaved. Land is still stolen. Mm. Uh, mass incarceration uh, is a, a multi-billion dollar industry. That labor is needed. We recognize people in jails, right? You know, uh, from fines, fees, asset fortitures, those are billion dollar revenue generators for, for, for municipalities. This is on the backs and at the expense of poor working class people in general, black people in particular. Mm -hmm. So we recognize that, and we always we, we make this known. We are an organization that is deeply concerned with African people because we feel like that's not a concern of most organizations. But we recognize that the people who suffer the most are, in general, working class people. Right. Globally. So people here uh, also suffer the most, though they may not always see their economic and political interests aligned with the, the liberation and progress of black people. It always has been. Why don't they see it as aligned? I think there has been uh, divisions and fractures that are deliberate, that are racial, that are gender-based, that are, you know, uh, based in religion. But these these are cultural uh, differences oftentimes. And, you know, I think from media to political parties, they prey upon those to divide people so that they can maintain a uh, power in, uh, in the political. And oftentimes when you have a, a two-party system, what in inevitably ends up happening is that instead of working on the interests of your, your constituents, you are instead working towards maintaining the power of your party even right. at the expense even so like let's say this if the other party actually has a policy and a platform that is going to be effective for the masses you have no choice but to say either adopt that and then end up not being competitive or you have to say it's not going to work even right. if it would right. because your goal as a party now is to maintain the party not represent the people that's right. why i'm an advocate for direct democracy and not representative and i won't get into that because that's a whole other conversation but i don't believe representative democracy can actually achieve the democratic values of small small d democracy what right. we're talking about right. I, I think it has to be uh, direct and it has to be something that is involving community councils at a local level and on a a, a state level it has to be something that we're we're deeply in and, and focused on how can we get the most people involved in consensus and not just have people inactively, part, not not civically engaged. Yeah, no, you uh, you bring up a good point. I um, uh, Keith Wheeler, you know, for example, you yeah. know, he's um, from Oswego. Yep, from yeah. Oswego, state, state representative, Red. Republican. Uh, he hosted a blood drive with some of the Democratic state representatives here, and I, right, it's a good thing. It's a good blood thing. drive. What could be wrong with that? Shared it. Some people hit up, you know, why are you sharing Republican news? That's not the point. <laughs> the point is a blood drive. Yep. Who cares who's hosting, right? Yep. I mean, Pol Pot could be hosting the blood drive, right? It's the blood drive. It's the benefit of the community. It's yeah. what helps the greatest amount of people. Um, so to your point, eventually people do believe that even if it does help, if it doesn't align with the party, the party. it's bad. It's very divisive, yeah. Um, but you, you mentioned that, so you mentioned like influences like cultural, religious, that may see people, which may allow people to see themselves in a silo rather than part of the working class. Um, and I'm curious, is it an exploitation by the media or is it just human nature to do that? Well, so I, I like the word human nature because I think it's oftentimes a misconception of it. Human nature isn't something that is just inherent. It is uh, developed by the surrounding institutions and, and you know, and the cultural uh, practices of a society that influence. And in a dialectical-like way, we influence institutions, but institutions influence us. So does the economic system. They influence how we think, mm -hmm. uh, what we see as, as the norm. So I don't know if it's human nature to see that, but I do think the civic institutions, I do think the economic situation leads people to poorer outcomes. I think we have a very rapacious economy that lead people to uh, survival with the fittest mindsets and mentalities. I don't think this is innate to human nature. I think this is a consequence and a result 
of the surrounding institutions and economic system that people exist in and have to survive in so they adopt qualities that are then selfish and then barbaric. Hmm. In a different arrangement, I think people would be more, in a different arrangement that was more conducive to the best qualities of humans, I think people would have those qualities. But we don't have that arrangement right now. We have a very rapacious, self, self-concerned, individualized type of culture and society. And that's what you get, that's, that ends up impacting the people. So that's why I would answer that. So I don't think it's human nature. I think it is a result of the surrounding cultural, uh, social, and political institutions as well as the media. Uh, The time is 8.37 a.m. How can, um, for anyone who wants to get involved in Black Alliance for Peace, how do they get involved? Two ways, right? So if you are uh, African descent, you can join the organization uh, directly. If you are not, you can join our Solidarity Network. Our Solidarity Network does the same work that, uh, that, that, that we do, and we work with organizations internationally all over working toward the to defeat the war uh, against African and black people uh, abroad and domestically and they support some of our campaigns so those are the best ways go straight to the website sign up and then from there people uh, from our operations team will reach out and then you can join a committee or a team we have numerous teams that you can join you know I'm on the comms team and do work with that there's operations we have our Hades America's team we have uh, uh, other teams that are focused on Latin America and in particular. We have other teams that are focused primarily on the, the U.S. out of Africa and then uh, emerging teams as well and just a, a whole host of other committees that do work for on, on behalf of BAP stuff on, on Afghanistan and what people call in like the so-called Middle East. We don't call it the Middle East. We recognize that that's like geographically and culturally like incorrect. Right. Afghanistan is in Asia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oftentimes people say Middle East, yeah. either Western Asia or Northern Africa. Right. But like, and mind you, a lot of people from those regions did not come up with those terms. The right. British, the of British course. did. So like, I don't, we don't use that, but like just for, so people can understand because that's what people know it as the Middle East. Right. So like we have many teams that do work all over the globe. Uh, you know, opposing uh, U.S. imperialism and Western imperialism in general. What can the average person, what can the person right now listening to this show or perhaps driving to work, uh, what can the average person do to make an impact in what we're talking about and either help uh, the working class on a global scale, help Africa, or at least not feed into what I'll call the machine, just yeah. for the purpose of this conversation. How can the average person not make things worse, but make things better for the global South, for Africans, and help? Adopt anti-war and anti-imperialist politics. Okay. Go to organizations that are doing that work. It's not just BAP. We have member organizations. There's Code Pink that's women-led that you can join. Right. There's dissenters, which is youth led and they have trainings. There is the answer coalition and there's a host of other anti-war and anti-imperialist organizations. I would say first join one and then get tapped into the education. And I think what's additionally important as well, like if we had if we were to have a movement of anti-war, all of a sudden now it has to be on a platform. Right now, politicians don't really have to. There would be a clear demarcation of anti-war and anti-imperialist politics. And candidates now, there wouldn't be, because to me, when people say, Nick, we're, you know, I vote for X, Y party, whatever party, because I'm lesser evil voting. I think this person's going to do the least amount of harm. Both parties are in cahoots with the imperialist project of the United States. So there is no lesser evil. It's just mm-hmm. you're displacing harm globally and you're removed from it. But if you're deeply concerned with human rights on a global scale, there's no party you could support at the national level because they both participate in that violence. So... But if we were to have a movement, they would have to either adopt those or we would be highly critical and recognize there is no lesser evil. I think that would, I think, uh, lead to a different trajectory of U.S. politics and discourse. And from there, I think that's when we could start making transformational change at a, at a global, global stage, right? And additionally, I would say be critical of, you know, I don't believe in, like, I don't think boycotts are too effective oftentimes. We live in a society where you need to go to Walmart. Like, people say, we should boycott Walmart. It's not going to work. One, it's not going to work. It's, right. it's very individualistic. You need to, I think you would have to do something that is collective. But And have you seen them prices on the juice? I ain't boycotting Walmart. Exactly. So I, the whole I, thing, the, right? Yeah, Tro- brother, right? Tropicana for a Telling poor people to, to boycott these places because they're, they're mean to the workers. I understand <laughs> that, but it's not going to be effective. True. But True. places like Google, Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, and pharmaceutical companies, Use child labor in Africa. So this needs to be raised in public discourse. We need to talk about this and have congressional hearings on these things in a serious, substantive way. So I think collectively when we start educating ourselves on these situations, 
we can then take the proper approaches to how to deal with it uh, collectively, right? At the moment, like we said earlier, I think people are just, I would say misinformed, but grossly deliberately disinformed, mm -hmm. right? So uh, with disinformation, rather. So how can we achieve a, a, a public consciousness that isn't? And then from there, I think we make the collective decision to move, right? Like when I bring up Operation Condor, people have no idea what it is. When right. I tell them the USA backed dictators in Latin America in 1975 into the 80s, uh, resulting in assassinations, political repression, and all these things, and everywhere from Argentina, Colombia, mm -hmm. Chile, Brazil, people are like really Paraguay, Europe. I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. like they did that, and they still do that. Yeah. So this is a country that's saying that they are the most freest nation in the world, but allows nobody else to taste that freedom. They did it all from the School of the Americas in Panama. They yep. trained people. I mean, they got a bunch of Ecuadorians, wherever you were from, and they trained you. To torture people. Stick the electric thing in his armpit. El Salvador. And mind you, yeah. millions of civilian deaths. These Pinochet, are people. I mean, it, yeah. it, it just goes on and, and on. on. And they still do this today, right? You know, but, but see, the way that see, files in the intelligence community in the Pentagon are released, I think it's after every 20 years. So you don't know about these things. It's 20 years yeah. later. You're like, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, at least you're not doing it now. They are. So I would say you have to oppose. You have to oppose these things if you are concerned with human rights. I believe, and see, this is what I think. That to me is perhaps the most pernicious form of exploitation, mm. because when people don't have, and we saw this, or I saw this in, in like in the navy, we were catching the little drug boats, right? Yeah. It's not like the movies. These people are not like the guys we're catching on the boat. These aren't cartel guys. This guy is 60 years old with no hand. He's taking a trip across the ocean to make $8,000. It's more money than he'll make in a year's worth of work. The same is said for these people who join or were trained for these operations, these paramilitary organizations that the United States was setting up. These people have no jobs or skills. So I'm going to teach you to be the police. Unknowingly, the heads you're cracking now are the same people in your own village. I mean, it's just... I'm glad you brought it's, that up. It's very sad. It's very sad. Same with AFRICOM. Same with what you just said. Something exactly. I missed. Exactly. None of these so-called rebels or so-called terrorists can un be understood outside of the context of poverty. In the same way, uh, if you're someone who is a part of a movement and domestically to reimagine public safety or uh, to end mass incarceration. I like how you did that. I like how you did that. Though. Keep it going, though. Keep it going. Keep you it know, going. or end yeah, mass that's... incarceration. <laughs> None of this can be understood outside the context of what? Right. Poverty. Right. So the same way we have drug dealers here, the same way crimes of passion are committed here, crimes of survival are, in Illinois at least, I think 68 to 70% of the people who are incarcerated. That's right. That means 70% of the people are just there because of impoverished situations, right. the economic situation that yep. they had to make. So then we have to really start to question the legitimacy uh, of so-called law and order. I don't think the greatest expression of law is order. I think it's prison. So when we think about that in the carceral state and the outcomes that we actually want, we have to ask ourselves, do we want rehabilitated people? Do we want public safety or do we want to punish? Because right now we punish, right? Mm -hmm. And if we're being serious about it and not having political agendas, we're actually asking ourselves, what outcomes do we want for our community? What outcomes do we want for people, right? And we're not worried about labor that we need or the businesses that have services within the jails that are billion-dollar corporations. We're actually saying we want our community safe, we want people rehabilitated, and we don't want to discard or do away with people and see them as disposable. I think we'd have to change the entire criminal legal system as well as the prison industrial complex that had to be addressed. But it all comes from poverty in the same way that you mentioned, those people doing these trainings or the man with no hand on the boat is because of poverty. Right. That would have to be addressed first. And there's not a, one, there's very few nations seriously addressing it. Two, I don't think I see the United States as that as a pillar of any like legitimate concern. Right. Yeah. No, I was able to you know, and again, because you and our conversations, we've talked more off mic than we ever have on on the mic. Um, but um, you know, there is definitely a good in stopping eight hundred kilograms of cocaine from coming into the United States of America. There, that is a unquestionable good. But when you see the people who are doing this, you realize that, like you said, this is 
global poverty. Absolutely. Global poverty. You know, these people have families and children. They're taking a chance, just like here in America, right? Crimes of survival. You know, a person with a, a methamphetamine habit who just so happened to steal your catalytic converter just for the money that he could make off scrap metal. Now he's doing four years in prison at $23,000 a year. You know, that's not a solution at all. No. That's punishment when that's, that person is definitely could be a great candidate for true rehabilitation, true access to resources, really getting back on his feet or her foot in a yeah. stable way and stable fashion. Um, uh, the time is 8:47. So in the in the time that in the t let's let's talk about the successes. Um, in the time that Black Lions for Peace has been around that you've been a member, what are some of the biggest what are the, some of the biggest W's we've had? Yeah, so we've been in existence since 2017. And I think some of the biggest successes are the one, and I just noticed this one recently. Black Lines for Peace in Chicago got invited to three rallies this, uh, this upcoming week to talk about Haiti. Haiti is not a, a part of discussion that's ever in pub public or popular discourse. Mm -hmm. And those organizations reached out to us specifically because they've been watching our national work and our political line on Haiti and said they, they wanted us to come speak on it because they didn't feel equipped, but they wanted to be involved in that movement. And two years ago, that wasn't a thing. We were the only ones doing Haiti protests. So I think we have uh, inserted ourselves in our political position in a very, I think, serious way. We're seen as principled. We're seen as consistent and objective. And that has been recognized by other forces that are anti-war and anti-imperialist, who even in the West, I think, don't always have the best politics when it comes to Africa or Latin America. So that is, to me, a victory. And why, could, why don't they? I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to stop you there, but that is a, that's, that's key. Why don't they? Why don't they have the... I think it's complicated. I don't think it's one thing. I, okay. I don't believe anything is ever a result of one thing. I'm okay. an over-determinist. I believe most like outcomes are determined by many effects. And the, But the two main ones are, I think, a, a Western chauvinism and American exceptionalism that I don't think is – I don't say this as a negative quality like you're just a bad person. I think these are just aspects of living in the empire of the United States. It's right. very difficult to get the proper information Inter on international affairs. So I think American exceptionalism is what leads to that and the Western chauvinism at times. Secondly, I don't, I don't always, I'm not always uh, convinced that the, the media is deeply concerned with veracity. Uh, I, and I mean all media apparatuses. We have to remember, media is a private enterprise. It's not there for public good. It is there to make money. So if it, is it profitable perhaps to talk about the, the the assassination of the president and prime minister of Haiti, I don't know. Yeah. Is it profitable to maybe expose some of the the work of, you know, U.S. intelligence agencies? Is that profitable to you? Because U.S. intelligence agency agencies oftentimes fund some of these enterprises, and that's just a fact. So Jake Tapper, but that's another story, though. Right. So that's for me. Story. Oh. Right, right. Story. So for me, I was like, that's why people don't know. And if you're not actively looking for it, you won't find it. You right. won't know that. Even what you brought up, like with drugs, right? Like during the, the Sandinistas and Contras, the, the CIA actually put drugs in communities to sell, to be able to buy weapons to give to their Contras to fight the Sandinistas. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, there was a guy named Colonel Oliver North. <laughs> imagine that. Remember Iran? Those bad guys? Could you imagine? We're going to. We're going to sell you drugs, take the money, buy missiles, and give to the Iranians. Could you? It's a tactic they've used numerous times. So I say all that to say that it's probably not in the best interest of news to properly inform the public. Additionally, I think people don't want to believe the U.S. is the bad guy. They don't. That, that's, that's a lot of it. That's, that's, that is, that is so, so much. That's so much of so it. So that yeah. hopefully answers yeah. the question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it, it, it really is. But... Um, and see, this is where you and I have made so much ground, though, when we when we do talk and have these discussions, because what we're dealing with and what's what's a big problem is just perception. I mean, when you perception. tell when you tell the average red blooded American that, you know, you know, we, we, we you know, that missile was intended for that school. That's going against that's going against everything. Right. I mean yeah. that's that's unbelievable, um, unfathomable. It, yeah, so we people. have to we have to 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 break that down. 
Um, currently, right now, what is the if you if you if you know? Do you have any stats on Africom? Like what its you know its range, its budget? Um, you know, what are some of its most recent follies and things like that? So I'll give you what we have, but again, it is incredibly difficult to FOIA sure. data from it. But what has been gathered by, you know, independent organizations and journalists has shown there has been upwards of, I think, 4,500 civilian uh, casualties, directly or indirectly. This isn't even counting what has been done to, like, like again, agriculture, homes, and the devastation that, you know, as a consequence of that, like people, homes are now destroyed. So now this mother, and a mother was interviewed and she was like, well, my son wasn't with the, the Islamic State. He joined them after our home and our garden was destroyed because we could make no money. So you directly sent somebody to the terrorists you're fighting, which I don't think they are. Another statistic that is, I think, damning is that a lot of the groups that they're arming and training and, uh, and equipping for people, for context, there have been, I think, up, upwards of 15 coups all over Africa, mainly in Western Africa, over the last, like, I would say, like, nine, ten years. Mm -hmm. All of them have been trained by AFRICOM. If right. you think that's a coincidence, I have a bridge to sell you. Right. Right. I think that is a damning statistic to me that all of these people are being trained to stop terrorism, are overthrowing these democratically elected governments, and then there's a vacuum of power, and now the weapons are in the hands of the extremists again. Oh, now we have to stay here longer. So now you're manufacturing a condition in which your services are needed so you can stay there. And I haven't really said this yet. The real presence of AFRICOM is not concerned with human rights. It's not concerned with stability, nor is it concerned with the terrorists. It's there to protect multinational corporations and interests. Right. That's why they're there, but they need to have the pretense of that, so they have to create instability to justify their presence. Than fair. It's the arsonist being a firefighter. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I like that a lot. The arsonist being a firefighter. So the difficulty with uh, gathering data again, you know, the, the budget at one point was, I think, 400 million. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that low. I think it's much higher. But the, the way, you know, uh, money is moved around and the way they even train and equip people, oftentimes you have to see it as like, that's what's being done to maintain mm -hmm. probably the operations of AFRICOM uh, internally, the, the administrative, uh, administrative duties of AFRICOM. The actual operations, I think, far exceed that in one way or another. So it's very hard to calculate how much, but, you know, from the casualties to sexual assault allegations that have been substantiated to the, the coups, I think those are the most important, like, damning statistics we should be focused on. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it's almost impossible to get all of it accurately only because AFRICOM refuses to have uh, a journalist with refused information, like just refuse, outright refuse. And I can share some of those articles, too, if people want to get into the nitty gritty of, like, like the day-to-day -day operations of AFRICOM, the many failed drone strikes, the many uh, combatants, CIA agents who were murdered, and then nobody knew that they were there, they weren't supposed to be there. Right. And like all of these things that come out, but we only always have half the story because there's no transparency. And then what, when, when we do piece together something, there's no comment on what we piece together. Even the, the, the casualties that have been substantiated by these families, by these journalists and outside observers, AFRICOM then doesn't respond to it right. at all even right. congressional even congressional leaders have come out and said i didn't know we were there yeah i forgot who it was it was a republican he even said it's like i had no idea we were there right why, why are we there yep. so the pentagon is oftentimes unilaterally making these decisions and congress doesn't even know yeah. this isn't to absolve congress they're they're plenty terrible a lot of, of them of course but they don't even know about africom and well, i think that speaks volumes to like the situation of it yeah i mean you know that <sighs> How did this white dude end up in Somalia dead? Like, yeah, yeah, why are you in Somalia? Why, what, yeah, it's it's you know, and not to be funny about it, but yeah. that is that is how serious and to those because I watch those hearings. Yeah. I do watch, you know, they're long and winded, but I I do watch those hearings. I think it was uh Mike Lee mm. might have been who it was, Senator Mike Lee. Yeah. Um and he was like flabbergasted. He was like, Algeria? What the <laughs> How in the world, like Algeria? Yeah. What in the? So you know. Um, anyway, uh, I do. The time is eight fifty six. Monica, can you take me to a brief, brief, brief commercial? And I have to give two pieces of quick information. Uh, time is eight fifty six. Breaking news. Can you do that thing for us, please? Thank you.
Join the Aurora Regional Fire Museum for the 6th Annual Sound the Alarm Fundraiser in support of the Fire Museum. Sunday, November 13th from noon to 3 p.m. downtown Aurora. They currently have six different chilies entered in the competition. About the event, it'll be Sunday the 13th, noon to 3 p.m. Doors open at 1130. Two Brothers Roundhouse is the place, 205 North Broadway in Aurora. $35 per person. The ticket includes chili samples, beer ticket, and a thank you gift. You can purchase your tickets online or by visiting the museum. The link is in the chat to uh, purchase tickets online. Thank you very much for that. Tracy Duran, Dan Barrero is here. Maria Saltageri is here. Norma Peterson, Gloria Gerardo, Jennifer Ryan Maiden, Jen Ingram Art. David Cannon says, I'm so here for this. Curtis, thanks for having Nick on. Nick, thank you for your time and energy. I appreciate Nick as we always do. And Norma Peterson says, uh, please join on Facebook Live. Document the abuse page tomorrow from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. to recognize the 15-year missing anniversary of sister-in-law Stacy Peterson. Sandra Williams, good morning. Uh, Blossom Couture, good morning. And uh, Vanessa Rodriguez-Aguirre. Okay, the time is uh, 8.57. All right, let me do what I was going to do. Um, court-based rental assistance is still available for those in a court eviction proceeding due to non-payment. The non-payment is conditioned on financial hardship due to the pandemic. Eligible applicants may qualify for up to $25,000 in emergency rental payments. The program is open to anyone in the state and is not conditioned by county. If you are going through an eviction because you couldn't pay your rent and you got behind due to COVID, Call 630-906-9400. You have to qualify, but call 630-906-9400. Last but not least, the DuPage NAACP Health Committee and the Naperville Live Center have teamed up for weekly wellness events featuring Zumba. Uh, they're held every Saturday through December 17th from 8 to 9.30 a.m. Fellowship, fitness, and a whole lot more. Uh, there is a flyer with details. We've posted it. I will continue to share it. Uh, please take part in that. Thank you very much. Times 858. Okay. Um, Nick emphatically explains things very well. Yes, he does. Um, did we miss anything? I think it is almost impossible to to capture the scope of True. the U.S. Imperialist Project yeah, in yeah. 30 minutes, an yeah, hour. A documentary or something. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I think we I think we captured a good amount in the time that we did. Right. So I will the say that. The mission continues, right? The mission continues. The struggle always goes on, yeah. you know, forward ever, backward never. Um, I do want to uh, book discussions. Yeah. Something that you've got going on. You had Blood in My Eye. Yeah, was brother. the most recently, um, the most recent one. Yeah, was that the flagship? Was that the first one? No, the first one was "We Do This Till We Free Us" by Miriam Kaba, okay. which was great. We had great reception. Uh, my my girlfriend started the program for okay. the book club uh, through IA and I facilitated it, and I co-facilitated. And this time, you know, I I love blood in my eye, and I saw mm -hmm. the excitement around the book club i was like this is the perfect opportunity to get people to read blood in my eye so right. i had to had to in there on had to in there. i had to beg <laughs> i was like i hey, please let this be the next book please right. so right now currently we're reading yes blood in my eye and we meet at okay. culture stock every other tuesday it's bi-weekly you can follow ia pages to get you know more in tune with that and find out the dates we have a slack that is you know deeply in, that's internal that you can uh, figure out like the pages we're reading and have discussion and i'll say this if you're not a reader but you want to learn still come if you don't have the book, we'll give you the PDF. We make it accessible as possible. I'm not interested in you reading all the pages. What I am interested in, you being there for discussions because we link the theory with the praxis and we link people and tag them into prisoner support. We've been helping TPL with some of their court uh, watching, supporting the Safety Act, uh, in particular ending cash bail. So if you want to read about this stuff and then go do the work, that's what we're doing. We're not just reading it. We're, we're learning together collectively because I always learn as well. And then we send people to the work where they can actually go uh, practice what we just read so what's the name of the book club the book club i guess just ia reading uh, you IA know reading. no particular name yeah but if you know go to invisible aurora's pages it'll it'll all be there okay all right uh the time is nine o'clock a.m this was a fantastic discussion with our dear friend nick thompson glad to have him back oh, on the show thank you for always He's having the me homie, you know <laughs> Big uh one. much appreciated um we will uh so when we write this up in the description, I'll be sure to include the link. The link is in the chat for anyone who wants to get more information or potentially join Black Lions for Peace. Uh, we'll put the link in the description, like I said, too, so anybody can view what you guys do at their leisure. There is a Facebook page, too, right? There is. Also, if you want to, I should have said this at the beginning. If you want to join, I'm beginning the Aurora chapter, like formalizing it, because right now it's, it's just the Chicago and right. other Midwest. I'm formalizing the Aurora <laughs> chapter because there's some big campaigns we want to bring to Aurora that I won't share on uh, you know, the mic. But mm -hmm. if you want to join the Aurora chapter, let me know. 
directly and get in contact with me as well, and we'll make that happen. That's word. All right. Um, the show ends on a positive note. What's your message today for the people? I feel like the whole thing was a message. <laughs> What's my message today? <laughs> well, end on a positive message. note. It's all a message. Everything. Right, right. No, I would say, you know, love passionately and, you know, work towards, you know, the transformation of society and community. It takes time. But anything done in, you know, collectively, anything done in this community is worth doing. So, you know, don't take everything that I, I, I said as dread. I'm not cynical at all. I'm very sure. optimistic. Yeah. It's more just about understanding that when we come together, we can transform it. You know, alone, we can't. So I have great hope and, and you know, belief in humanity. And take that as the, the final message that we can change these things from the local to the international. It just takes time, work and collective effort. Tune in tomorrow to document the abuses Facebook page uh, for the events presented by Nora Peterson in remembrance of uh, um, her our sister-in-law, um, Stacy Peterson. So please do that. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great day today, Wednesday. Be the change you want to see out there. Take care of yourself and each other. Get word up.